0: out. So if you're visiting with us this morning, we are in a series of messages entitled Reboot. Reboot. The idea of New Year's resolution starting over, you know, getting a a fresh take on things. And a lot of people do that in January. First month of the year, the first day of this first month of this new year was on the Lord's Day. And what a great way to start the year off with brothers and sisters in Christ. People people tend to make resolutions in the first month of the year. And sad to say, people tend to break those resolutions by the end of the first month of the year. Right? Seems to be that way. Spiritually speaking, though, there are times in our lives when we need a reboot, a refresh, a, a restart, you know, a reset. How do you do that? That's what we've been talking about. We've been in Psalm 51, David's repentance psalm, written while he was trying to reboot his life after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then arranging to have her husband killed. We saw that he was genuine in his repentance, and as a result, he experienced the mercy of God. Mercy is not getting... What we deserve. David deserved to die for breaking God's law. The penalty for adultery was stoning to death. That's what he deserved. But instead, he received mercy. He, he didn't get what he deserved. And he discovered that God's mercies are indeed new every morning. But flip the mercy coin over and you're going to find grace on the other side. And grace is receiving what we don't deserve. David asked God for a clean slate, for a new start, for the forgiveness of his sins. He asked God for a reboot, in essence, and he received that. God rebooted his life, and he can do the same thing for you. We've also examined the 25th Psalm, written by David. David, at that time, was facing external, outside forces and pressures that were opposing him. And David shows the importance of maintaining an unyielding commitment to spiritual disciplines. And in that psalm, David asked God to show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me. And we noted that the spiritual disciplines are not about performance as much as they are perseverance, it's the long game, it's the commitment. To the basics. God rewards us on the basis of how diligently we seek Him. Hebrews 11:6. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that would come to God must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God doesn't reward us on the basis of how eloquently we pray. He doesn't reward us on the basis of how many verses of Scripture we have from memory. He doesn't reward us on the basis of how many years of perfect attendance pens we have. God rewards us on the basis of how diligently we seek Him. So how diligently are you seeking God and the things of God? But the spiritual disciplines, the fundamentals, the basics are so important. Vince Lombardi became the coach of the Green Bay Packers in 1959. On the first day of training camp in July of 1961, the summer before his third season as head coach, Lombardi did something that has taken on mythical proportions. It's become legendary. Dave Moranis, in his book, When Pride Still Mattered, said they went to St. Norbert for their summer camp. People were portraying the Packers as winners, but they hadn't won it all yet. But absolutely obsessed with being a winner, Vince Lombardi went to summer camp taking nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the previous year. He reviewed the fundamentals of blocking and tackling. The basic plays. How to study the playbook. And he did it all by beginning with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand. This is a football. That's basic. That's elemental. John Wooden, legendary basketball coach of the UCLA Bruins, coached his teams to 10 national championships in 12 years. What a dynasty. Unheard of today. But do you know what he taught his players in order to ensure top-level performance? Well, for one thing, he taught them how to put on their socks. I kid you not. He taught them how to put on their socks. Each season, Coach Wooden, who, by the way, was a member of one of our Christian churches, where Dudley Rutherford currently preaches. He would teach the player, show them how to prevent sock wrinkles around the little toe and the heel and how to lace up their their shoes with a double knot. That helped his players avoid blisters because in the closing minutes of a game, the player without blisters on his feet would perform better. And Coach Wooden said, attention to detail creates success in basketball, in business, and in life. So his focus on the fundamentals, the basics, the regular discipline to the game, made his teams nearly impossible to beat. So in the course of this series, I have asked questions like, What daily disciplines do you need to put into place to get where you need to go by the end of this year? What plans have you made for the year? That God wasn't involved in the planning, but you expect him to bless those plans anyway. You see, you don't need an elaborate game plan for your life this year or any year. What we need is a commitment to the basics because that's the only way to maximize our capacity and our potential as a disciple of Jesus. So, this morning we're just going to get very practical, and I'm going to name some of those spiritual disciplines, those fundamentals and basics that are so essential for us as Christians. So, here we go. Number one, you need to have a daily quiet time with the Lord. That's where it all begins, a daily quiet time with God, just a time every day where you spend time alone with God. You have to do that. That's basic. That's fundamental. If you're going to reboot spiritually, if you're going to be all that God wants you to be, if you're going to accomplish all that God wants you to accomplish, if you're going to have the fullness of God in your life, then you've got to have a daily quiet time with him. Psalm 46, 10, familiar verse, be still and know that I am God. And then James chapter four, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You make sure that you do that every single day, that you have a daily quiet time with God. For me, a couple times a day, first time of the day, is uh, driving the school bus. You may think, how can you have a quiet time with a busload of noisy kids? Well, I do it before they get on, all right? I get to the bus barn every morning at about a quarter till six, and uh, we've got a 30-minute prep time on our buses where we do our pre-trip inspections, and we sweep out the bus, and you just by yourself, and then you're set, set down in the bus, you got it started, you're waiting for your departure time. And then that time until I drive, I leave at about 6, 16, 6, 17 of a morning to make my first pickup at 6.30. And so I've got that amount of time. And those first kids that get on the bus are still half asleep and it's still pretty quiet. And I, and I have a time where I do a lot of praying and just having that quiet time with God. And then I've also got my time where I'm reading scriptures each day. Those times that I spend with the Lord. But you need to have a daily quiet time with the Lord. That's basic. That's fundamental. That's a priority. Secondly, you need to worship God every day, not just on Sundays. Worship God every day. Psalm 145 verse 2 says, Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Worship is a daily thing, folks. That's basic. That's fundamental. It's not something that is just confined within the four walls of a church building on a Sunday morning. Worship is much more than that. As Larry explained the etymology of the word this morning, how often does God, how often should God expect you to express his worship to him? How often should that take place? Well, every day. Every day. What would happen if all of us learned to worship on a personal basis every single day of the week? That wherever we go, whatever we do, we're focusing on God. God, I want to worship you. I want to praise you. I want to thank you. We need to capture a sense of worship every single day of our lives. And remember, Worship isn't all about you. It's all about God. (laughs) I don't know how many times in my life I've heard someone say, Well, I just didn't get much out of that. Well, I beg your pardon. That's not what's important. What's important is what does God get out of it? You're coming to worship Him, not vice versa. That's what's important. God's the audience, not you. You're the participant. You're the one that's coming to give, to worship. So give him your best. Remember what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1. He writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's your spiritual act of worship. Have you brought. Have you thought about your body lately? <laughs> Let me tell you, the older you get, the more you think about it. Right? It starts breaking down, not doing what you wanted to do, sure. But where did your body go this week? What was your body exposed to this week? What went into your ears this week? What went into your eyes this week? Why, why is that important? Because God wants our bodies to be holy and pleasing to him. Living sacrifices, he says. And in the very next verse, Paul wrote, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's time we showed our world some transformed lives, don't you think? Different people, different lifestyle, different lip service. Let's be transformed, rebooted, if you will, by the renewing of our minds, that's worship. And we need to worship God every single day. Here's a third thing. Read. Read and study the scriptures every day. Every day. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is, he- is heard through the word of Christ. So if you want to increase your faith, you need to hear the word. need to hear the message not just when it's preached on Sunday morning or taught in your Sunday school class, but every day as you read it. So read the scriptures daily. In Acts 17, 11, there were people that did so. It says there, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You've heard me say this before. You shouldn't trust me. You shouldn't trust that what the preacher says is absolutely true unless you can prove it and verify it by the word of God. You need to search your scriptures daily to see if what Bill is preaching is true. Read your word daily. Psalm one nineteen one o five. 105, you know what it says. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Tells us how we ought to live, folks. And listen, the God who oversaw the writing of this book through the Holy Spirit, he sure knows a whole lot more about life than you or I ever will. And living by the word of God is the only hope for our world. It's the only hope for your family. It's the only hope for your life. And yet so many that profess to be Christians spend so very little time reading the Word of God and they know so little about it. Did you know the Bible is divided into two main sections? That's elementary, right? Old Testament, New Testament. That's basic. The Old Testament tells us Jesus is coming. The New Testament tells us Jesus came and that he's coming again. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. So there are 66 books in the Bible. That's basic. That's elementary. In those 66 books, there are 1,189 chapters. Maybe you didn't know that. If you take 1,189 and divide that by the 365 days of the year then all you have to do is read four chapters of the Bible each day, and you'll have read the entire Bible from cover to cover in less than 300 of those 365 days. Four chapters a day. That's it. Now, why is the Word of God so important? Well, I hope you know the answer to that, but just in case, in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11... It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God will always accomplish God's purposes if we'll just let it. That's why you ought to memorize scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the reason why so many people are struggling with sins that they should have taken care of a long time ago is because they haven't applied the power of the word of God to the sin that's in their life. God's word will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. It will help you overcome sin. I've written in the front of my Bible what a lot of people through the years wrote in the front of their Bible that says, This book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. Good food for thought. So read the word. Here's a fourth thing pray every day. Pray. That's basic, that's fundamental, that's essential. However, the majority of the time we make prayer all about us instead of about God. We look to prayer to get us what we want. Prayer becomes our strategy for getting things from God. We think if we just pray long enough and believe hard enough and gather enough people around us that will pray the way we're praying that maybe, just maybe, we'll get what we want. And we've turned prayer on its head and then we wonder why it doesn't work very well for us. Folks, From the start, prayer is about God, not about us. It's about God. All true prayer originates in the heart of the Father. And when the Father wants something done, it's immediately made known to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says, In the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So God desires something to be done, and immediately the Holy Spirit knows that. Then the Holy Spirit makes that known to a believer. And then through the name and the authority of Jesus, the Son of God, that believer prays back to God, the Father, what God wanted to do in the first place. Prayer is God's strategy to get things done. The Father is so amazing. He could just do everything himself if he chose to, but in his wisdom, he chose to bring us into the process through prayer. And in doing that, he he helps to train us in spiritual matters. God chose prayer as his strategy, and he chose to give mankind a role to play in accomplishing his purposes as a means of helping us grow to maturity. I mean, when it comes right down to it, What do you do in this world that truly touches the spirit realm? You pray. You pray. Through which we, who are both flesh and spirit, are trained in the area of the spirit. Prayer is God's strategy. He he involves us in the process. Prayer is the way God has chosen to accomplish His will on earth. And when we understand that, suddenly prayer moves from something that can seem selfish and self-serving to an amazing opportunity to be a participant in the work of God in our world. Now, there are different ways to pray, obviously. We pray prayers of adoration. We adore Him. Prayers of thanksgiving where we thank Him. Prayers of asking for forgiveness. Prayers of intercession, interceding for other people. Prayers of personal petitions to God. But just remember it's all about Him. It's not all about us. So pray. There's a fifth thing, give. Give of your resources as God has given to you. Giving's a discipline. It doesn't come naturally to us. We ought to work at it. It's our nature to be selfish. If you don't believe that, Watch a little toddler. One of the first words they learn is what? Mine. Yeah. So we have to discipline ourselves to give. Jesus taught more about giving and stewardship and money than any other subject. 16 of his 38 parables deal with stewardship and what we need to do about it. Now why would Jesus say so much about stewardship and money? Well, it's because he knew that there would be one thing that would compete for godhood in our lives besides him, and that would be money and possessions. God knew that. He knew that where our treasure is, there our hearts would be also. He knew that you can't serve God and money. He knew that. It won't work. So learn to give. Develop the discipline of giving. Why? Because if you do, then it will never become your God. That's why. Now, a great place to start is by giving a tithe. Alan touched on that this morning. A tithe in the Old Testament on into the New Testament was a tenth, 10%. Give back to God 10% of what He gives to you, 10 cents of every dollar. Ought to go back to the Lord. That's a great starting point, but it's not a great ending point. You ought to grow beyond that. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. So God makes a promise to us. He guarantees an excellent return. He puts his name on the line, and he dares us to try it. Test me in this, he says. Just test me and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Now, I also believe that our giving should be regular and systematic. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. You get that? In keeping with his income, not somebody else's income. God expects you to give on the basis of how much he gives you, not on the basis of how much he gives somebody else. And we ought to do it regularly, and systematically, as Paul says on the first day of the week. And let me just tell you from personal experience, after years of tithing and giving beyond the tithe, there is no way I would ever consider not tithing because I know that I would have much less if I kept much more. If I kept more, I would have less. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. But that's true with God. The more I give, the more I have. And He's never failed me. Never. I wouldn't ever consider not tithing. So give at least a tithe 10% back to the Lord. Do it regularly and God puts his name on the line, I'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing you can't contain. Number six, fellowship. Fellowship with other Christians, that's basic. That's fundamental. You be present when we meet together as a church family. You be here every Lord's Day if possible. Church attendance is very important. That's where we, that's, that's, that's one of the main places where we engage in that fellowship. Fellowship. Acts 242 says the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, in saying that, I'm not just talking about the fellowship we experience with each other. Although that's wonderful, that's great, and we need that, but I'm also talking about the fellowship with our Lord around this table. You don't neglect that. You don't miss that. You don't take that lightly. Do you think God is pleased when we spurn his invitation to meet around this table? I don't think so. How can we neglect this table? Knowing what it means, what it stands for. That Christ died to save us from our sins. How can we neglect it? This fellowship with the Lord is of vital importance. It's one of the ways that we stay connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and when we neglect His table, we put ourselves in grave danger of disconnecting from the vine, and we dare not do that. Did you know for the first 600 years of church history, for the first 600 years of church history in the Greek churches, anyone who neglected the Lord's table three weeks in a, ro- in a row was excommunicated, not executed, it didn't kill him but excommunicated. They were dismissed from the church, kicked out of the church if they missed this three weeks in a row. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Very simply, folks, it's an encouragement when you're here. It's a discouragement when you're not. And so, you know, when you look around and we have a low Sunday of attendance, does that build you up or does that take you down? Well, you know the answer to that. It's discouraging. But when we have a full house and when everybody's here, man, that that pumps us up. And it ought to, rightly so. Coming through a COVID pandemic, thousands of churches in this country closed their doors for good. There were some that struggled through. Only to close their doors after the pandemic because the people didn't come back. They got in the habit of not assembling together. And so they've had to close their doors since the pandemic. Well, I'm grateful that didn't have that didn't take place here. But we're still not back to where we ought to be, are we? And we all know that. You know that as well as I do. We need to be encouraging each other to be here. Fellowship. That's basic. That's fundamental. That's a necessity. Well, lastly, share your faith story with others. Share your faith story with others. Tell someone how you came to faith in Jesus. Tell your story. You don't have to know the Bible from cover to cover to be able to do that. Just tell someone your story, how you became a Christian, how you came to faith in Christ. Invite others to come and worship with you. And if necessary, tell them, hey, I'll come by and pick you up. Or tell them, I'll be waiting at the door watching for you and so we can go in together. Whatever it takes. Just do whatever it takes to make disciples who will in turn make disciples. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Can you relate to someone the reason for the hope that you have in Christ? Well, I hope that you can. You can do that by sharing your story. Tell them what what it means for you to be a Christian. Why you wanted to have hope in Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel story of salvation is nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to share with everyone that we can. So tell someone who will tell someone. Win someone who will win someone. Share your faith. Well, those are seven very practical disciplines that we all need to be practicing. These are basics, fundamentals that we all need to return to if we desire to reboot ourselves spiritually. And we can't afford to neglect a single one of them. And how long do we practice those disciplines? Until then, that's our invitation song this morning. Until the Lord returns, until then, we're going to keep doing all of these things. If you have a decision that you want to make public today, you meet me down front as we stand and sing.